What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing how good will South Carolina football be this upcoming college football season? Does Baker Mayfield make the Carolina Panthers a playoff team? How good will Oklahoma football be year one under new head coach Brett Venables? And I'm going to be giving you guys my top 10 offenses going into the 2022 NFL season. If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. Lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. How good will South Carolina football be this upcoming college football season? This team went 7-60 last year, year one under Shane Beamer. And going into year two, this is one of the most improved teams in all of college football because last year they had bad quarterback play. It was actually really surprising that they were able to find a way to win seven games despite how bad the quarterback play was. And then on top of that, they had bad offensive line play as well. So I don't know how in God's loving earth, South Carolina was able to have the success that they had year one under Shane Beamer, but it was really impressive. So this offseason, they hit the transfer portal. They got Spencer Rattler, who transferred from Oklahoma to the Gamecocks, and I think that Spencer Rattler is going to bounce back. Now, a lot of people are really high on Spencer Rattler. I've been seeing him on a lot of people's top five SEC quarterbacks list. And then on top of that, you got to look at the fact that South Carolina has a really underrated offense. You have Josh Van at wide receiver. He's one of the better wide receivers in this conference. You also have the carry on joiner who had a really good showing at quarterback in their bowl win against UNC. He probably should have been the starting quarterback for South Carolina all year of how good he performed. And some people may say, man, JT, that was a bad North Carolina team. Well, I mean, I don't think he could have been any worse than the other quarterbacks who they had out there. At running back, you have Marshawn Lloyd, who most likely is going to be the lead back this year. I'm really excited for what he can do with South Carolina this season. If you guys don't remember... He had a ACL injury the year prior to last. So last year was kind of his first year getting back into the flow of things. The coaching staff, Shane Beamer, have been really impressed with what he's done during spring. And they're really excited for what he can do this season. You also have Christian Bill Smith, who is a transfer from Wake Forest and Juju McDowell. So most likely... Lloyd is going to get the bulk load of the carries and then Bill Smith McDowell probably going to come in and rotate every once in a while to give him a little bit of a break at tight end you have a really good group of tight ends Jaheim Bell you have Austin Stockner who also transferred from OU along with Spencer Rattler Jaheim Bell was tied for the lead in touchdowns on this team. He was only second behind Van and receptions and yards. So you have a really lethal weapon in Jaheim Bell at tight end. Austin Stockner is also going to have a little bit of a role in this offense as well. Him and Spencer Rattler have a really good relationship and a really good connection. So for South Carolina... I think that this offense is incredibly underrated. You have playmakers on every single level, running back, wide receiver, tight end. You have a really good quarterback in Spencer Rattler. The biggest question probably is going to be the offensive line because they had one of the worst O-lines in the SEC last year. Pro Football Focus ranked them 10 out of 14th in this conference when it came to pass blocking, and they weren't all that great when it came to the run blocking department as well. So if this offensive line is able to at least be average, I think that South Carolina could potentially end up winning seven, eight games maybe because the thing with Spencer Rattler is that We are expecting him to bounce back, 
And a lot of people want him to be the Spencer Rattler that he was the year prior to 2021. But honestly, Spencer Rattler just needs to develop. Because you got to remember, that was his freshman season. His first season ever starting for Oklahoma when he had all that success. Really, Spencer Rattler needs to continue to develop and elevate his game as a quarterback. And really, last year, his main problem was the fact that he wasn't all that comfortable in the pocket. There were many times when he would just bail out of the pocket despite having some time to throw, and he just wasn't the best when it came to his pocket presence. Now, Oklahoma's offensive line also didn't really do him no favors because the majority of the time, he didn't really have a clean pocket to throw out of. So, I think for Spencer Rattler, him going to South Carolina is a really good fit. He seems to love the fans, love the university. I'm rooting for Spencer Rattler to have success this year. And if he's able to become better than what he was his first season starting at OU, then I think Oklahoma could end up being in for a really big loss. Because... I mean, when you have a guy who has this kind of arm strength that Spencer Rattler has, it's really special. You don't have guys who have this kind of arm talent that grow on trees every single day. Spencer Rattler can make any throw from any platform, from any place on the field. I think that as long as South Carolina is able to give him a little bit of time to throw the football, he should be able to do a lot of damage this year in this conference with the weapons that South Carolina has on this offense. The defense was pretty solid last year. This was a really good secondary, especially when it came to forcing takeaways. This is probably one of the best secondaries in all of the whole entire SEC and maybe in the country. You got Cam Smith, who is regarded as one of the best cornerbacks in college football. He is currently projected to be a first-round pick for the 2023 NFL Draft. You also have Darius Rush. You have Dial there, who's going to be your slot corner. So this is the best group that South Carolina has on the defensive side of the football. You also have RJ Roderick there at safety. The linebacker group concerns me because you don't really have a lot of depth so hopefully Sherrod Green can finally stay healthy. He has battled injuries the last two seasons. So if he ends up going down or Brad Johnson ends up going down, then I think that the Gamecocks could be in a lot of trouble this year. Your defensive line looks pretty solid, led by Zach Evans. You also have Strachan who returns. He had three sacks last year in 2021. Alex Huntley, he came on late for South Carolina last year. A lot of Gamecock fans think that he could end up being in for a breakout season so how is the run defense going to improve because they were 98th in the country and rushing yards per game allowed obviously that was a testament to the linebacker play which they had injuries there so as long as you can have Sherrod Green and Brad Johnson being able to stay healthy and the defensive line continues to improve that department should improve also, your third down defense wasn't great last year. Also, you were 91st in the country on being able to get off the field in third down situations. And if you're going to be able to beat some of the better teams in this conference, you're going to have to be able to make sure that you can get your defense off the field in third down spots. You see, this defense, despite the fact that they weren't great getting off the field, on third down, they were able to make up for it because they were able to force takeaways. But as me and you both know, that takeaways are not always a thing that you can constantly rely on because you may have been great at forcing turnovers last season, but who knows if you're going to be that good this season. So takeaways are always a stat that you have to look at with a grain of salt because it's always something that you can't really depend on to be there for you year in and year out. So for South Carolina, if they're able to have more success getting off the field in those third down situations, then that's going to help their defense tremendously. Plus, if their defense can even be half as good as what they were at first in turnovers, then that's also going to be a bonus as well. So when you look at South Carolina's schedule, this is pretty tough. Because you play Georgia State to start the year off, you get a little bit of a tune-up game, that should be a win. 
Then you play Arkansas on the road. You have Georgia. That is a really tough back-to-back to have to start the season off with. Then you get a little bit of a break before you play Kentucky on the road. You play Charlotte. Then you play SC State. So you should be able to walk out of there with a record of 3-2 and two at least. Then you get to play Kentucky on the road before you're by. And then after that, you play Texas A&M, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Florida, Tennessee, and Clemson to close out the season. So I think the floor for South Carolina probably has to be five wins. Now, the reason why I say five wins is the floor is because the offensive line It's a little bit up in the air. Pretty much if you are a South Carolina fan, you're crossing your fingers and you're praying to God that the South Carolina offensive line is going to have things figured out this year. Now, I think that the ceiling for South Carolina, and this may be a surprise to a lot of you guys, but I think it's nine or ten wins. So they have an incredibly low floor, but they have an incredibly high ceiling. And the reason why I say 9-10 wins is because you have Spencer Rattler at quarterback. And I have a theory when it comes to having a superstar quarterback in college football. If you have a superstar quarterback in college football, I believe that as long as you're able to give him average to above average talent around him, he's capable of being able to win you six to seven games automatically. And I think that Spencer Rattler is that. Plus the offensive line, hopefully if it does improve, Coupled with the fact that you have a really good supporting cast, a really good skill group, a really good running back group, I think that the offense could end up being one of the better offenses in the SEC. Plus, the defense isn't bad. You have a really good secondary, one of the best secondaries in college football. So as long as the defensive line and the linebacker unit can stay healthy or you're able to have some guys who are backups who can end up stepping in and playing at least a solid role, South Carolina could be a 9 or 10 win football team. And we may not look at it that way, but when you look at the SEC East, yes, it is more competitive than what it has been in years prior with the return of Tennessee or the rise of Tennessee plus you have Kentucky who also is coming off a 10 win season you also can't sleep on Florida but I think that for South Carolina if this offense clicks and this offensive line plays better than what it did last season and you get above average offensive line play I think that South Carolina is more than capable of being able to compete for second place in the SEC East this season but my realistic record prediction I'm probably going to go with, I'm probably going to go with 7-5, and 6-6. Six and six because the schedule isn't really that easy. You do have to play Clemson. You play Georgia really early. And you play Arkansas. Those are going to be two of the best teams in the SEC. And Clemson has a good chance of being able to bounce back this year. So 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, One of those two are going to be my record predictions. Let me know how good you guys feel South Carolina football would be down in the comment section down below. A couple of days ago, we did a segment on does Baker Mayfield make the Seattle Seahawks a playoff team? Now we're doing a segment on does Baker Mayfield make the Carolina Panthers a playoff team? And the answer is hell yeah. You see... The reason why I think that Baker Mayfield has a better chance of making it to the playoffs with Carolina compared to his chances with Seattle is because Carolina has a way better offensive line than the Seattle Seahawks, okay? You have... Akim Ikwanu at left tackle, Taylor Morton at right tackle. So you already have a better offensive tackle situation than Seattle. Plus, you have Bradley Bozeman, who's coming off the best season of his career last year. You also signed former Rams offensive lineman Austin Corbett. It looks like he's either going to be playing right guard for you this year. So Carolina's offensive line is really, really solid. Plus, you have a really good group of wide receivers. You got DJ Moore. Probably the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. You got Robbie Anderson, which Robbie Anderson, a lot of Panthers fans kind of have a love-hate relationship with him. But Robbie Anderson is a really good deep threat. And he got held back by poor quarterback play last season. So with Baker Mayfield, somebody who has a really strong arm, somebody who throws the deep ball pretty accurately more times than not, 
I think that him and Robbie Anderson should be able to have a really good connection. You also have Rashard Higgins, Terrence Marshall. So the wide receiver position is pretty good. Then we already know what Chris McCaffrey is able to do when he's able to stay healthy. And then you have Chuba Hubbard back him up. So I think for Carolina, if you get Baker Mayfield, I think that the ceiling is 10 wins. And I was looking at their schedule and I was going game by game. And I had Carolina at 9 and 8 or 10 and 7. And their schedule honestly isn't really all that tough because think about it. Think about the Panthers starting Sam Darnold. And look at some of these games. You're probably going to say they have no chance, JT. They have no way in hell of being able to compete for a playoff spot. Now, swap him out with Baker Mayfield. A lot of these games look incredibly winnable. You have Cleveland at the start of the year. It looks like most likely they're not going to have Deshaun Watson, regardless of if he gets suspended indefinitely or if he gets suspended for half the season. You don't have to worry about him. Then you have to play the New York Giants. That definitely is a winnable game there. So you could go 2-0 to start the season if you have Baker made for that quarterback. Then you play New Orleans. I think with Baker, you should be able to split with New Orleans. New Orleans does have a really good defense, but you're going to have a really good offensive line that's going to be able to neutralize that defensive line and slow down that pass rush. And you're going to have a quarterback now that's going to be a little bit better when it comes to handling Dennis Allen's defense. You also get to play Arizona, San Francisco, the 49ers, Tampa. I think with Baker and the supporting cast that he has around him, you're going to be pretty solid during that stretch. And that's probably going to be the toughest stretch of your season. Then you play Atlanta twice. Cincinnati, you should be able to beat the Falcons both times. They're not going to be that good this year. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. So overall, when you look at this schedule with Baker Mayfield, the Carolina Panthers could be a really solid football team. And for Matt Rule, they missed on quarterback the last couple of seasons. His first season, he got there. You had Teddy Bridgewater. Didn't really work out. Then you trade for Sam Darnold, and we saw how much of a disaster Sam Darnold was last season. So Carolina really is a quarterback away from making it to the playoffs. If they can get this quarterback situation taken care of, this is a playoff football team. Their defense is young, really underrated. You got Jeremy Chen, Brian Burns, really good defense, incredibly underrated. So you can help out that defense by improving the quarterback position because then a lot of people don't think about this. But when your offense continues to go three and out and your defense is on the field for a lot of plays, they get tired more easily, which makes it a little bit harder for them to keep the offenses from scoring on them. So if you get Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield is really good when you give him a good supporting cast. Okay, I call him the taxi driver. You give him the keys to the Bentley, and you make sure that the engine's running, and you don't need an oil change, and you make sure that you got some gas in the tank. Baker Mayfield can get you to where you need to go. And I kind of I'm kind of a little bit irritated at all of the criticism that Baker Mayfield has received over this offseason because you have people questioning his leadership abilities. You have people calling him trash. But it's funny because a year ago, people were praising Baker Mayfield because he led the Browns to the playoffs for the first time since 2002. Everybody was riding his coattails. And now all of a sudden, he comes off a injury-riddled season which the Cleveland Browns severely mismanaged. I don't know why they would have him playing with a messed up shoulder, but hey, it makes no sense to me. But for Baker Mayfield, I think that he is somebody that if you're Carolina, you trade him, he is going to galvanize your locker room. He's going to bring a urgency to him, which is something that Carolina definitely needs, especially Matt Rule, considering the fact that his job security could be on the line. So you bring in Baker Mayfield, he balls out for you, and then you have a question of should you extend him and how much is he worth? Well, Baker Mayfield gets the Carolina Panthers to the playoffs this season. If you trade for him, I think the answer is pretty doggone obvious. You sign him as long as you don't overpay for him. And here's the thing. Carolina shouldn't overpay for Baker Mayfield because they should look at the market and they should probably say, okay, Baker Mayfield, you had a really good season. 
we think that you're worth between 25 and 27 million dollars a year and I know for a lot of Panthers fans that number is going to sound a little bit high but compared to the rest of the quarterback market that's nothing Okay, so for Baker Mayfield, I think him going to Carolina is the best situation for him. Yes, Seattle does have a better group of wide receivers than Carolina, but if you're looking at the complete overall package, Carolina has a better offensive line and a really good group of wide receivers. Okay, DJ Moore is incredibly underrated, and Robbie Anderson is one of the best deep threats that we have in the NFL. So, I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield to get traded to the Carolina Panthers as a Steeler fan. I know what Baker Mayfield brings to the table. I know what a healthy Baker Mayfield is able to do. And it's really funny on how quick people have just flipped the switch on Baker Mayfield. It's really funny, but that just goes to show you how the world is. When you're on top, everybody's on your dick. When you're on the bottom, nobody's there to help you back up. So if you're a Carolina Panthers fan, I know you may not be incredibly thrilled about the aspect of trading for Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield is a baller. He's somebody who comes in with a chip on his shoulder. This was somebody who was, what, a two-time walk-on? You don't become a two-time walk-on to a Heisman Trophy winner to a first overall pick in the NFL draft without having dedication and a really high worth ethic. So the fact that people are questioning Baker Mayfield's character really blows me. And the thing with him and Odell Beckham wasn't the fact that they didn't get along. They didn't really have any beefs in the locker room or any confrontations that we know about. All that the issue was was that Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham just couldn't make it click when they was on the field together. And the thing with Odell Beckham's dad was that he uploaded a montage of Baker Mayfield overthrowing Odell Beckham, not really as a slight against Baker Mayfield, but really to combat the media because a lot of you guys a lot of people think that Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham just couldn't make things work and him and Odell didn't get along but that wasn't really the case the reason why OBJ's dad posted that montage of Baker Mayfield overthrowing Odell Beckham was because the national media kept bashing Odell Beckham for all of the Cleveland Browns flaws. Every time the Browns lost, it was OBJ's fault and his dad got tired of it. So I don't really view that more as a slot against Baker Mayfield. I view it as a response to the media's criticism about OBJ being the cancer in the Browns locker room. And we saw what happened when OBJ went to the Rams. The Rams ended up winning the Super Bowl and the Browns ended up missing out on the playoffs. So I think that Baker Mayfield just needs a restart. I think that he is a very solid quarterback. I think that he is a average to above average quarterback when you give him a good supporting cast around him. And I definitely think that he's more than capable of being able to carry a team or lead a team to the playoffs with the current situation that the Carolina Panthers have. I think it's just a match made in heaven. So let me know what you Panthers fans think about Baker Mayfield. Should the Panthers trade for Baker Mayfield? Because listen, honestly, if I had to choose between... Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield, I would choose Baker Mayfield. Give me the guy who's tough, who's able to play through injuries and stay healthy versus Jimmy G, somebody who you can never depend on to stay healthy for a whole entire 17-game season, and plus somebody who isn't great when it comes to throwing the ball under the rest. Give me Baker Mayfield over Jimmy G any day. How good will Oklahoma football be year one under new head coach Brent Venables? Now, Brent Venables is finally a head coach. We've been waiting a lot of years to finally see him get a crack at being a head coach. He's been one of the best defensive minds, probably the best defensive mind in college football for well over a decade. And I'm really excited for what the future of Oklahoma football has in stores with him at the helm at head coach because they have a really good coaching staff. Your offensive coordinator is Jeff Lebby, who has been the OC for Ole Miss over the last couple of years. Then he also spent time at UCF during 2019. And under his tutelage, those offenses have been really potent, really explosive, 
Then you bring in Dylan Gabriel from the transfer portal. He ended up missing the majority of last year due to a season-ending injury. I think that he was the best quarterback from the G5 last year prior to the start of the season. I think that he's going to end up being very good. And Oklahoma is kind of being a team that's a little bit overlooked in a sense. Because if you were to ask somebody... Hey, who do you think is going to win the Big 12? A lot of people are saying Baylor, Oklahoma State, but a lot of people are sleeping on Oklahoma because you got to remember something. The offense has never been the issue for the Sooners, and it's definitely not going to be the issue this year. Even though you do have questions about the offensive line, I think the offensive line should be a little bit more improved in 2022 compared to how it performed the last year in 2021. You have Eric Gray at running back, who has 78 carries for 412 rushing yards and 5.3 yards per carry. He also had 23 receptions for 229 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns as well. So you have a really good do-it-all running back. Then you have a pretty solid group of wide receivers. Marvin Mims is probably the best or one of the best wide receivers in the Big 12 Conference. You got Drake Stoops there, the son of Bob Stoops, Theo Weiss. You got tight end Brandon Willis. So you have a really solid skill position that Dylan Gabriel is going to be throwing the football to. And as I mentioned, this offensive line should be more improved compared to where it was last year. But this defense is going to be really good. And the defense last year, in my opinion, was pretty good. Because remember when the offense was having their struggles with Spencer Rattler at the helm? This defense saved Oklahoma's tails a good amount last year. And a lot of people don't really give this defense the credit that it rightfully deserves for how they performed last year in certain games. Remember when Oklahoma almost got upset by West Virginia? Who won that game? The defense. There were a lot of times when this defense showed up for OU. Now, of course, you think about their game against Texas and it was a shootout. But there were some games when this defense actually showed up. And the defense has been the biggest Achilles heel for the Sooners over the last couple of years under Lincoln Riley. Now you have a defensive-minded head coach who's going to elevate the performance of this defense. And this is a defense that is super talented on the defensive line. You got Jalen Redman, Reggie Grimes at linebacker. You have Danny Stutzman. Oh, I love saying that name. Danny Stutzman, man. I got to say it one more time. Stutzman. Then you have Deshaun White, Woody Washington. I mean, this is a really talented defense. This is probably one of the more talented defenses that the Sooners have had in a while. And you look at the Big 12, the Big 12 is up for grabs this year. If you ask somebody that's a non-Oklahoma fan why Oklahoma can't win the Big 12, they say, man, JTD, they got Brett Venables at head coach. And yeah, he is a great defensive mind, but we don't know how good he is as a head coach. I understand that. However, this is a... This is somebody who has been around a lot of championship caliber football programs, okay? He spent time with Clemson during the run. He had a run with Oklahoma back when they was winning championships. So this is somebody who knows what it takes to build a championship caliber football team. This is also somebody who has been around some of the best head coaches in the game. And then if you listen to him talk, man, this is somebody who knows how to elevate the morale of his players. This is a player's coach. This is somebody who not only is a great defensive mind, but he knows how to get the best out of his players when it comes to an effort standpoint. When you listen to Brent Venables talk, he makes you want to run through a wall for him. I love the energy that he brings to Norman. So looking at their schedule, their schedule to me isn't that easy, but it's not all that tough. You look at UTEP, Kent State, those are wins, okay? Then you have to go on the road to face Nebraska. Now, Nebraska is going to be a tough team this year. There's a good chance that they could maybe end up winning the West in that conference. But I think that that's a game that could go either way. You got Kansas State. They're not going to be a slouch neither. TCU under Sonny Dykes, they're going to be interesting to watch. Then you have Texas. That's going to be the game that everybody's going to have circled because you're going to have Steve Sarkeesian, one of the better offensive minds in college football, versus Brent Venables, one of the better defensive minds in college football, probably the best defensive mind in college football, 
who's going to win that game? Oklahoma fans probably have a strong case for why they feel they're going to win because defense wins championships. But Texas fans probably tell you, man, JT, Oklahoma, we're just a more talented football team than them. Maybe on the offensive side you are, but on the defensive side, I think that Oklahoma is way more talented than what Texas is on the defensive side of the ball. You have Kansas. You should be able to mop the floor with them. And then coming off a bye week, you play Iowa State, Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech after that and that's going to be a pretty tough stretch so for Oklahoma I think they have a really good shot at being able to win the Big 12 year one on the Brent Venables because this conference really is up for grabs there isn't really a dominant team in this conference because when you look at the SEC you have Georgia you have Bama you know they're going to be there in the Big 10 you have Ohio State you know they're going to be there but in the Big 12 anybody could win this thing And I don't really see a reason why it can't be Oklahoma, even though they are going into their first year under Brent Venables. And you don't really know how good he's going to be when it comes to managing the clock and late game situations. But with his resume, I think he's more than qualified. And I think that Oklahoma is a little bit underrated. And I think that a lot of people have kind of rolled off Oklahoma because Lincoln Riley left for USC. You don't really know what you're going to get out of Brent Venables. Now, is this team going to be in contention for making it to the college football playoffs? Probably not. It's probably going to take them a while to get to that level. But in terms of what they're going to be able to do this season, I think that they end up going 9-3. and I think that the ceiling is 10 wins and the floor probably has to be 7 wins. But I think that this is a 9-win football team. I love Dylan Gabriel. I watched a lot of him when he was playing for UCF. He has a really good arm. Even though he isn't the biggest, most imposing quarterback, he knows how to maneuver inside the pocket really well. I think that Oklahoma is going to be one of the more underrated teams in college football for this season. So, You guys let me know how you guys feel about Oklahoma football going into year one under head coach Brent Venables. I think that Oklahoma is going to be pretty good. I love Jeff Levy at offensive coordinator. I think it's only a matter of time before he ends up getting his own head coaching job sometimes in the near future. Because not only were his offenses really good during his time at Ole Miss, but he also was a large part in Matt Corral's development. And also back in 2019, he was really good when it came to getting the most out of the quarterbacks there. So you have somebody who is a quarterback guru who knows how to get efficient, effective quarterback play. Him and Dylan Gabriel already have a little bit of a good chemistry there because of their time at UCF together. So I think that this offense, although it may not be as good this season as it has been in the past under Lincoln Riley, I definitely think that this offense isn't going to have a big drop-off where they go from being one of the best to being one of the worst. I think they're probably going to be above average. They could end up being really good because Jeff Lebby is a really good offensive mind. But Give me your thoughts on Oklahoma Sooners football going into the 2022 college football season. Leave your record predictions down in the comment section down below if you're listening to this on YouTube. I want to talk about my top 10 offenses going into the 2022 NFL season. Now, these are going to be ranked in order from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 to number 1. So, Feel free to disagree with me down in the comment section down below. Talk about which teams are too high, which are too low, and which teams got left off the list that you feel should be in this top 10. So I kind of have a little bit of a criteria that I did this by. The teams that are mostly on this list have good offensive lines, a stacked group of wide receivers, And quarterback kind of played a little bit of a factor into where some of these teams are ranked as well, along with the talent that they have at running back also. So let's start off at number 10 with the Green Bay Packers. So even though the Packers lost Devontae Adams, they traded him away to the Las Vegas Raiders, they still have to be included on this list because they have the bad man Aaron Rodgers. And as long as you have Aaron Rodgers, you can never count out the Green Bay Packers offense. 
They have Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, a really good one-two punch in the backfield. The wide receiver position isn't the greatest. You have Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb in the slot, but you do have a promising young rookie wide receiver and Christian Watson out of North Dakota State, and Romeo Dubs out of Nevada. You have Robert Tunyon at tight end. Your offensive line is okay. You have a really good situation at offensive tackle. David Bartiari is one of the better left tackles in the league, along with Ellen Jenkins at right tackle. John Runyon isn't bad at left guard neither. So the Packers come in at number 10 for me. I think that this offense cannot be overlooked. You look at the fact that you have Aaron Rodgers. He's been playing out of this world for over the last couple of years. Back-to-back MVPs. This offense deserves to be on this top 10. The Kansas City Chiefs come in at number 9. Like the Green Bay Packers, they also lost a really talented wide receiver in Tyreek Hill, who they gave away to the Miami Dolphins. But they do have Miko Hartman, Marquez, Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, who is one of the best slot receivers in the league. You have rookie wide receivers, Justin Ross, who went undrafted but is super talented, been making a lot of plays for the Chiefs during OTAs and minicamp. And you have Scott Moore out of Western Michigan. So, yes, this offense is going to have a drop-off with the loss of Tyreek Hill, but you also have Travis Kelsey, and Travis Kelsey has received more targets than Tyreek Hill, and he's kind of been Patrick Mahomes' safety blanket, and a lot of people keep saying that the Chiefs are not going to be good because they lost Tyreek Hill. The most important pieces of this offense are still there. Patrick Mahomes and the big red machine, Andy Reid. Listen, good wide receivers come and go in the NFL. Yes, losing Tyreek Hill is a huge loss, but just because you lost him doesn't mean you should overlook the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs do have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. You have Orlando Brown, Andrew Wiley at your offensive tackle spots, Joe Thune, right guard, Trey Smith, and Creed Humphrey at center. This is one of the best old lines in the league. So even though Hill is a loss, you still have a really good the offense from a talent perspective. You also bring in Ronald Jones via for agency. You pair him up with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. This is still going to be a really good offense. This is still going to be a top 10 caliber offense with the fact that the most important pieces are still intact with Mahomes and Andy Reid. And we know that Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds in the history of this game. He's going to find out ways to get the ball to these talented wide receivers that they have in this roster. And you could expect Miko Hartman to step up, but you also could potentially have some young rookies and Ross and more who step up as well. So spreading the wealth is going to be really key. And Patrick Mahomes also has a really good record without Tyreek Hill. He's also more efficient without Tyreek Hill because when Tyreek Hill was playing, there were a lot of times when Patrick Mahomes would force him the ball downfield when it was unnecessary. So I think that you're going to see a more efficient offense without Tyreek Hill, although you may have a drop-off when it comes to the big plays downfield. But this offense should still be a top 10 offense. The Chiefs come in at number nine for me. At number eight, we have the New Orleans Saints. Yes, they did lose Sean Payton, one of the best offensive minds in the history of this game. But they have Pete Carmichael as their offensive coordinator. And unless you're a Saints fan, you don't know who the hell Pete Carmichael is. Well, Pete Carmichael has called plays for the New Orleans Saints several times throughout the past years. He's been with this organization since Sean Payton first arrived in New Orleans back in 06. He called plays during 2011, 2012. He also called plays when Sean Payton has been out. And the Saints offense has always ranked in the top five every single year that Pete Carmichael has been the play caller. You have Jameis Winston coming back from his season an ending injury. He was on pace to have one of the best seasons that he has ever had his NFL career. He was the most efficient quarterback in the NFL before he had his injury. And plus, he was doing this with a god-awful 
group of wide receivers. The New Orleans Saints last year had the worst wide receiving core in the NFL for a team that had a winning record. Now you have Michael Thomas, who should be coming back fully healthy. You draft rookie wide receiver Chris Olave in the first round. Plus, you sign Jarvis Landry. Although Jarvis Landry is getting a little bit up there in age, he's still really good, really productive. Plus, you have Marquez Callaway there for death as well. Alvin Kamara is going to be in the backfield depending on when he plays. We are expecting him to have some kind of punishment from the NFL for what happened during Pro Bowl weekend. You're going to have Mark Ingram there. They're probably going to sign another running back as well until Alvin Kamara comes back. So we're probably going to see a little bit of a one-two punch. Now, this offensive line did lose left tackle Teron Armstead and free agency to the Miami Dolphins. But you drafted a promising offensive tackle prospect and Trevor Penning. Now, Trevor Penning has been labeled a little bit as a project player, but the New Orleans Saints are really good when it comes to drafting and developing offensive linemen. You still have Ryan Ramsick on the right side, along with Andres Pete, Cesar Ruiz. You have Eric McCoy at center. This is still one of the best offensive lines in the game. Your only concern is going to be how productive is left tackle Trevor Penning going to be year one this season. You also have Adam Trotham at tight end. He could be in for a breakout season. I thought last year was going to be that year, but I think that this season you're going to see him involved more in this offense and in this passing game and listen I know a lot of people are going to have their questions about Jameis Winston but Jameis Winston if you didn't watch the Saints play last year this is a different Jameis Winston versus the one that we saw when he was throwing 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions his final season at Tampa this is somebody who has became better when it comes to taking the risk even though he still does make a couple of throws every once in a while that make you go, why'd you throw that? He's been better when it comes to picking, when to be aggressive, when to take risk, and when to check the football down and take what the defense gives him. And with Pete Carmichael as the offensive coordinator, this offense isn't going to change all that much compared to what Sean Payton was calling last season. So the New Orleans Saints come in at number eight for me. Coming in at number seven, I have the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles have improved a lot over the course of this offseason. You trade for A.J. Brown, you're going to be pairing him up with Devontae Smith, who had a pretty solid rookie season, along with Quest Watkins in the slot. Your running back position probably could be a little bit better. Out of all of the teams on this list, the Eagles probably have the worst running backs out of all these teams. But Miles Sanders is okay. Kenneth Gainwell is also pretty solid. The offensive line is criminally underrated. This is one of the more underrated off the lines in the NFL. This was a top 10 unit. A lot of experience. You also have a little bit of youth as well. But how good this offense is going to be this season is going to be primarily determined by the play of Jalen Hurts and how much he develops as a passer going into his second season as the full-time starter in Philly. Last year, this offense was really fun to watch when the run game was highly effective. But when Philadelphia was asked to have to throw the football to win games, i.e. when they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wild card round, it was god-awful. This offense either was pretty good running the football or god-awful when it came to throwing it. And hopefully with the addition of A.J. Brown and you pair him up with Devontae Smith, it should make it a lot easier for Jalen Hurts to make that next jump as a passer this season. You also do have tight end Dallas Goddard, who happens to be one of the top tight ends in the game at the moment. So Philadelphia's offense comes in at number seven on my top 10 NFL offenses going into this season. I have the Minnesota Vikings coming in at number six. This is probably going to cause a little bit of controversy in the comment section, but it really shouldn't because if you think about Kevin O'Connell, he's coming from that Sean McVay coaching tree. Remember, Zach Taylor recently disappeared in the Super Bowl with the Cincinnati Bengals. He also comes from that McVay coaching tree. 
Kevin O'Connell is a really innovative offensive mind. If you listen to this guy talk, he knows football inside and out. And this no longer is going to be a run-first offense that we have been so accustomed to seeing in Minnesota for a very long time. Justin Jefferson recently appeared on NFL Total Access and said that this offense is going to be predicated towards spreading the football around. So this passing game is going to be really good. Kirk Cousins is coming off the most efficient season of his NFL career last year. A lot of people overlook how good Kirk Cousins was last season because everybody's just drawn to this narrative that Kirk Cousins is overrated. Well, Kirk Cousins is going to be really good this season, and so is his Vikings offense. You got Justin Jefferson. You have Adam Thielen, one of the better wide receiver duos in the NFL. You have K.J. Osborne, who came on last year. He could improve more this season now that he's going to be in a more pass-friendly offense. Irv Smith at tight end. We've been waiting for Irv Smith to break out for a while. This could finally be the year now. And you have Dalvin Cook, who happens to be one of the best running backs in the game. This offense has it all when it comes to the skill position. You have wide receivers who are really good. You have a phenomenal running back and you have a young promising tight end then the offensive line isn't too bad a lot of people think that the Vikings offensive line isn't good I don't really think that that's true they're average out of all of the teams on this top 10 they probably have the worst offensive line out of all 10 of them but you do have Christian Derisaw who is coming off a really solid rookie season Brian O'Neill he's good also and Ezra Cleveland at left guard is pretty consistent as well your weak spots are Garrett Bradbury at center and right guard hopefully with the changing of the scheme because Minnesota and Kevin O'Connell have said that they're going to be experimenting with different run schemes to get the most out of this off the line and try to improve it but the off the line isn't quite all that bad as people think that it is really outside of two positions this is a really solid offensive line the Vikings offense if you disagree with this I promise you this offense is going to be really fun to watch this season if you are a Vikings fan and you're watching this you have every right to be excited for what this offense is going to do I think that Kirk Cousins if the Vikings are able to get into the playoffs I think he potentially could be a dark horse MVP candidate he was really good last season. He probably is an outside looking in of a top 10 quarterback. You probably rank him top 12, maybe 11th, somewhere somewhere around that category. But this season, I really think that we see Kirk Cousins end up taking a giant leap and he ends up becoming a top 10 quarterback. You remember what happened with Matthew Stafford when he spent all those years in Detroit? Well, he gets traded to the LA Rams with a really good play caller, somebody who knows offense. And look what happened to Matthew Stafford. Now, everybody's raving about him. I think that Kevin O'Connell is going to have a similar effect on Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins was never a bad quarterback. I don't know where the hell that has came from. He's always been really good. He hasn't been elite, but he's always been really good. This season, under Kevin O'Connell's tutelage, I think that we see Kirk Cousins become an elite quarterback in 2022. Minnesota Vikings at number six. At number five, we have the Buffalo Bills. A lot of Bills fans were highly upset that I didn't have them on my top five passing attacks for 2022. But I do think that this offense, when it comes to complete talent, and what they have at every single position on this side of the football is one of the top five best offenses in the NFL. Yes, running back may not be ideal. You have Devin Singletary. The thing with Devin Singletary is that he's inconsistent. You got rookie out of Georgia, James Cook, the younger brother of Dalvin Cook. I feel he's going to bring a different dimension to that Buffalo Bills offense simply for the fact that he's really good catching the football out of the backfield. Make sure that you guys go ahead and check out my segment that I recently did talking about James Cook and how effective he can be for Buffalo. But to give you guys a brief summary of James Cook, 
He's probably one of the natural pass catchers of the football that you will ever see from the running back position. Not only that, but he runs really phenomenal routes for a running back. So you're going to see him utilized in a similar way that Alvin Kamara is utilized with the New Orleans Saints. At tight end, you have Dawson Knox and O.J. Howard. I'm really excited for what Buffalo potentially could do at tight end this season. You look at Dawson Knox, he's been phenomenal for the Buffalo Bills. You look at O.J. Howard, this is somebody who we have kind of forgotten about over the last couple of years because he got phased out in Tampa Bay. Well, newsflash, O.J. Howard was a former first-round pick, and his first couple of seasons were pretty solid. The only problem with O.J. Howard that held him back early in his career were injuries. So Buffalo can keep him healthy and somewhat feature him in a role on this offense. I think he can be a big contributor here. Then you have Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis went off in the playoffs, had a game when he went for, what, over 200 yards? The dude has elite size, crazy athleticism. Many people, myself included, expect him to be in for a breakout season. And then you have Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder is a really good slot receiver. He was underutilized during his time with the New York Jets and held back by bad quarterback play. And there was one point in time when he was actually the New York Jets' best player on offense at one point. So for Jamison Crowder going to the Buffalo Bills, I think he could end up being a better slot receiver than what Cole Beasley was in that offense. And Cole Beasley was a monster in the slot for the Buffalo Bills. So I like the Bills offense this year. The offensive line is pretty solid. Yeah, it's not going to blow your rocks off, but this offensive line is good enough to get the job done. And then let's not forget about Josh Allen. To me, Josh Allen was the second best quarterback in the NFL last season. He was on my all-pro team. We talk about how strong of an arm he has, but this dude is a phenomenal athlete. He was carrying the Buffalo Bills ground game last season. If you were to take away Josh Allen's Rushing yards last season, the Buffalo Bills will have one of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL. So, the Buffalo Bills, number five. Number four, we have the Los Angeles Chargers. This offense under offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi was really fun to watch. It was explosive. A lot of big plays down the field. That was attributed to Justin Herbert. Last season, he threw for over 5,000 yards. He completed 65.9% of his passes. You're hoping that he can get the turnovers down and be a little bit more cautious with the football. But other than that, I think that he should be in the running for MVP this season. We have Keenan Allen, who is a top 10 wide receiver. I'm not going to continue to give you guys a lecture on why he is. If you are a football fan and you are somebody who doesn't care about stats and fantasy football and you really understand the X's and O's and you understand what Keenan Allen brings to the wide receiver position, then you know that he is a top 10 wide receiver. I'm not going to keep arguing about it. Mike Williams is coming off a career year he's probably one of the best deep thrusts that we have in the NFL and it's not because he's a blazer it's because he has solid speed but this guy can go up and make some of the most acrobatic catches better than the majority of wide receivers in the league you also have Joshua Palmer Jalen Guy in so those guys are also going to be able to come in and have some solid production in this offense. They also added tight end Gerald Everett to pair him up with Donald Parham. And we can't forget about Austin Eckler and what he does in the passing game along with what he brings to the run game as well. And this offensive line is pretty good. Outside of right tackle, which they have a little bit of some concern there, left tackle, Really good. You also drafted rookie offensive guard Zion Nelson. So this off the line is going to be even better than what it was last season. And off the line was pretty good last year. Now with Zion Nelson, this offense should be really, really potent this year. And what's scary is that the offense was one of the best in the NFL statistically last season. So imagine the kind of numbers that they can rack up this year with the improvement of the off-the-line drafting Zion Nelson. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming in at number three. This offense, do we need to say it more, is still one of the most talented in the NFL. Tom Brady's coming back for another year. You have to wonder, will Father Time finally catch up to Tom Brady? 
We don't know. But for right now, the Buccaneers have him coming back, and he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You got pretty much the second best wide receiving core in the league, probably the best in terms of overall talent and depth. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL. But I don't know if a lot of you guys know this, but they signed Russell Gage. And Russell Gage is a pretty good slot receiver. He's an upgrade from Scotty Miller. So you're going to have him, you're going to have Scotty, and you're going to have Tyler Johnson and Jalen Darden there. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the most talented slash deepest wide receiver group in the NFL. Now, many people are going to say the Cincinnati Bengals. I agree. The Bengals do have a better wide receiving core when it comes to their one, two, and three. But if we're talking about in terms of overall depth, if Chris Goblin was to go down, Tyler Johnson could step in. If Mike Evans was to go down, they could have somebody else step in. There's so much depth and talent in this wide receiver room. Cameron Bray that tied in should get more volume with the retirement of... Rob Gronkowski and with OJ Howard departing for the Buffalo Bills in free agency if you're somebody who's watching this and you're looking for somebody to pick up in fantasy football I think that Cameron Brake could be a really good value pick at running back you got Leonard Fournette Leonard Fournette had a really good season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers he probably could have ended up going for over a thousand yards if he would have played the whole entire season but you also have a rookie running back out of Arizona State and Ricard Wright who a lot of Buccaneers fans are really excited to see because he brings a lot to this offense in terms of what he can do in the passing game. He also has very good size. Stay tuned because I have a segment coming out this week about Ricard White and how good he potentially could be with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I love this offense. You still have Brian Leftwich as your offensive coordinator, even though Brian Bruce Arians is gone. This offense still shouldn't change. Let's face it, Tom Brady was most likely calling the shots. Anyway, this is his offense. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the third best offense in the NFL. They come in at number three on my list. We have the defending Super Bowl champions, the Los Angeles Rams, coming in first to last. Despite losing Andrew Withworth and Austin Colbert, Withworth finally retired. Colbert left for the Carolina Panthers and free agency. This off the line should still be a very good unit. No worse than top 12. You add Allen Robinson to the outside. He's going to be in replacing Robert Woods, who you ended up trading away to the Tennessee Titans. And even though... You don't know what's going to happen with OBJ. Sean McVay has already came out several times publicly and said that they would love for OBJ to come back. So it looks like the offer is still on the table for OBJ to still be part of this offense. But until then, you have Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup coming off a career year, and you have Tutu Atwell. So this is still a really good receiving core. And Sean McVay was really excited about the the addition of Allen Robinson. He said that Allen Robinson is somebody who can win one-on-one outside of the numbers. He can be a really fantastic deep threat. And Matthew Stafford loves to throw the deep ball. He has one of the strongest arms in the NFL, so he fits perfectly in this offense. We also can't forget about tight end Tyler Higby, who may be the most underrated tight end in the game. He doesn't get talked about a bunch because of how dynamic Cooper Cup has been for the LA Rams, but he's also one of the more better blocking tight ends in the NFL, in my opinion. Really good in the run game, but then you have Cam Akers coming back at running back. He missed the majority of last year due to him recovering from a Achilles injury that he suffered in the offseason. Then you have Daryl Henderson, and Daryl Henderson was pretty solid last year when he was in for Cam Akers during his injury. So now you're going to have Cam Akers, who's going to be your primary running back. He's probably going to be in for a breakout season as long as he can stay healthy, but you're also going to have Daryl Henderson there if you need somebody to give Cam Akers some rest there. So this is a really good offense overall. Yes, some people are going to have questions about the off the line, but there are some guys who they have filling in. For those losses who they feel really confident in. I'm going to have a lot of faith in Sean McVay and his coaching staff that they're going to make the right decisions when it comes to who starts on that off the line. LA Rams coming at number two. 
If you guys didn't know, now you know the Cincinnati Bengals come in at number one. I think that they're going to have the best offense in the NFL this season. You think about what their offense did last year, despite the fact that they had the worst offensive line in the NFL. Joe Burrow, 34 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, completed 70.4% of his passes. Imagine what he's going to do now with a reinvented and revamped off the line. You have Jonah Williams at left tackle. He was your best off the lineman last year. You signed Ted Karras, who's going to be starting at center. Alex Kappa at right guard. And right tackle Lyle Collins, who happens to be one of the best right tackles in the NFL. You pair that up with the fact that you have the best wide receiving core in the NFL. Jamar Chase took the NFL by storm year one, and that was only his first season. Imagine what he's going to do in year two. Not the fact that Joe Burrow is going to have more time to throw him the football. Maybe we see Jamar Chase crack over 17, 1800 yards this year. You have T. Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd, who is the best slot receiver in the NFL. It doesn't get no better than this. If you're talking about the best receiving core in the NFL when it comes to their two outside receivers and their slot receiver, no team has a better top three than the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's not forget about Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon was kind of the unsung hero for Cincinnati during their playoff run last year. He was really effective, especially in the Super Bowl. So for Joe Mixon, he's also going to benefit from having a revamped off the line. We may see him go for over 13, maybe 1,400 yards. I think that this Cincinnati Bengals offense is going to be really fantastic this year. I think that it's going to set records. I think that this offense is probably going to come to the closest thing to being unstoppable that we may see. Is this really unfair? The football gods really bless Joe Burrow. How often do you see a quarterback have the opportunity to have not only the best receiving core in the NFL, but arguably one of the best off the lines in the NFL? Not all that often. So I think that Joe Burrow is going to end up winning MVP. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him throw for over 50 touchdowns, maybe break the NFL passing touchdown record. Listen, I'm not a Bengals fan. I'm a Steelers fan, but I'm giving all the praise to the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that this offense is going to be fantastic. I think they're going to have the best offense in the league this year. So this is it for my top 10 offenses going into the 2022 NFL season. Let me know what you guys think about it down in the comment section down below. Who's too high? Who's too low? Who should have been on this list? Make sure that you guys check out the JT Sports Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms. Wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast and rate it five stars. Also, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you enjoy the content, and I will see you guys later with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.